0: There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Miner. Hello folks. And helping us move from awareness to action this week is Mr. Brent Mankey, the chef and owner of the Mick Braiserie. Welcome Brent.
1: Thank you very much for having me on your show. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, excited to have you back on. Santar, do you know what a braiserie is? I I don't. It's like a restaurant Brasserie. but with chickens. Brasserie.
1: <laughs> a restaurant with chickens. Braiserie. <laughs>
0: See, I, 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 I ask you a question that I don't really even know how to pronounce the word. So it's Brasserie. It's
1: brasserie. Uh, so really it's uh, with French origins. Uh, brasserie in French really translates into brewery, which, you know, we are working with uh, local breweries to try to be able to produce, you know, our own, our own beers that we actually serve in-house. But they also sell themselves. Uh, we've actually had a a successful launch of one of our beers, you know, with Oso, you know, where we did a fig amber ale that is absolutely delicious. Oh, my delicious. Yeah, it very, it's Yeah, it was very, very good. But, you know, really a brasserie has become, you know, a little bit more synonymous with a formal restaurant, you know, over in France. We've kind of expanded on that because, you know, my own kind of background, my wife is French, so I wanted to bring that aspect, you know, into the restaurant. Uh, but really we're kind of focus in more of that european style you know where it's you know small plates kind of tapas style if you will uh which is supposed to be communal and shared and again it's almost kind of like having hors d'oeuvres for dinner but again able to pair off with all of our wonderful you know wines and beers and that's really where our focus is is kind of between our wines beers and small plates that's just what we do
0: well that sounds awesome so we've been having these conversations, and we've been titling them reopening as as restaurants and bars have been attempting to successfully reopen through COVID. But Brent, you are just opening.
1: I know. And, you know, here's the, uh, the downside in trying to be able to get all this done. We thought, you know, with uh, the reopening of the state that our timing was going to be just right. You know, we thought, okay, here we are. We're getting ready to roll back in this again. We were set up from day one to be able to do social distancing. That we had everybody wearing masks. That we had you know, all of our protocols, you know, for keeping you know the sanitation and keeping our patrons and our and our employees safe. And w- numbers look great. I mean, our opening day line out the door. I'm like, oh wow, this is exactly what I was kind of hoping to be able to have. But again, with the number of seats and everything that we had inside, it's like okay, everybody is spaced out. Everybody felt just felt good and i was super happy and then the mass mandate hits and then the covid numbers really start to spike inside the state and uh, we made the painful decision at the time to actually to help kind of stop that spread and seeing like the writing on the walls we've actually again temporarily closed again waiting to, uh, <laughs> waiting to try mm. to, to try to find a better time in this market and i mean that's that was really, that was painful. And I'll kind of of explain as to why we did that. I mean, our numbers were really good until all of a sudden, it's like, boom, and they weren't. And then we also kind of felt that, okay, with trying to be able to make sure that the public at large, you know, felt confident enough to be able to go out, we just didn't feel that they were, and and they weren't. You know, I, I talked with a lot of my other compatriots that are in the market, that have other restaurants themselves and I mean, they also have seen you know just a precipitous slide you know, in their sales because let's just call it what it is. People are afraid. you know they're, they're afraid to be able to go into an area where they're going to need to be social, where they're going to have to be at least in proximity, although you know we want to be able to say that okay, everything is spaced out or the rest of it. People just don't know what they don't know right now. And in that type of market, it's very, very difficult to try to convince people. It's like, you know, hey, why don't you come out and try out this brand new thing that's just opened up? A new, untested brand, new to the marketplace. And I hate to say it. It's like, well, we based our thing. our entire market was on, like, you know, small plates. People could be social. They could share or whatnot. Maybe in this environment, not exactly the best the best model to be open with right now. Right. We do think that it will be once we get past all this, but right now, it's really? not. So we decided to close, and we've decided to basically move in a slightly different direction. You know we're working on our new digital footprint. We're working on our takeout and on our uh, curbside, and we're still hoping that people are going to want to come in, but I think we're they're really going to be more comfortable. It's gonna be sitting on that patio. 111 degrees today mm. may not be the best opportunity right. to get people sitting on your patio.
0: Man. Yeah, probably not ideal. And it's, it's not, I mean, I think that if you were just to ask me, well, or, or if somebody were to ask you, well, why don't you just start doing takeout, it's not that easy, right? It's, you can't just all of a sudden start doing takeout.
1: No, it it, um, it really kind of takes a little bit of research to be able to uh, to do it and to do it right. And I think you, you've only got a chance to be able to, to, I guess, open once. And I thought, you know, that our opening, I was very, very proud of our staff and the product. I mean, it really, the, the menu and the food and the interior, everything looks spectacular. Uh, but right now, you know, the market is just, they feel that they want to be able to stay in. So with that side of things, okay, develop out what that's going to look like. You have to think about your packaging. You have to think about, you know, your digital, just all your systems. You have to have a digital online ordering system that's going to be able to sync up with your point-of-sale system, that syncs with your accounting, that then you have to be able to change your menu. You have to change your practices. You have to change, I mean, so many different things about your business. And uh, right now, we found that, that with there are certain programs that have helped us out tremendously, as well as our workers. You know, my, my greatest concern really is for my employees, and I always kind of felt that we wanted to be an employee-centric business, because at the end, you know, it's your people that create the experience. You know, what I built was just a beautiful box, you know, but we fill that box with people. We fill it with our employees. We fill it with our you know our guests. But it's really employees that make sure that, that service, that food, that experience, that's what makes for a great restaurant. And as long as you do those things well, the customers will follow. So my, my first worry is about my employees. Now, I know that at least, you know, through the federal government right now, offering an additional kind of, you know, package for unemployment, given what our sales were looking like, a lot of our employees were actually going to be able to make more money being on unemployment, knowing that they're going to have a job, you know, coming back here again in August. And that is our goal, to try to, be able to come back in August. Um, our landlord has been tremendous and has helped us out, you know, with uh, some renovatement, you know, in the, in the short term. Uh, the federal government actually stepping in with the CARES Act has helped us, you know, put off, you know, our loan payments, you know, for a number of months to, to try to be able to help us through this time period. So, although it's been difficult, I've been really, really grateful for what has actually transpired as an opportunity for us to be able to get through this difficult period. All of us in this together. My greatest worry, though, is like, OK, what happens when these programs start to um, start to go away? And, you know, and right. then, why? you know, how are we you know, all going to be able to kind of go through this thing together and how are we all going to be able to go out and feel safe? You know, how are we going to you know, do business? Because well, let's face it, I didn't build this business thinking that, hey, you know, we're going to be 50 percent at capacity. You know, the capital structure and our rent structure wasn't set up that way. I mean, it's like nobody goes into business saying, hey, if we only do half the business, you know, we're going to be good. You know, you have to almost kind of rethink it and be able to pivot. And I'm taking this opportunity, you know, right now because I felt that there was one, to rethink it, to repivot. And then when this business actually does come back and people feel that they're comfortable with whatever the new norm is going to look like, that they do come back. The weather in Arizona is going to change. That patio will open. People are going to feel more comfortable that being out in the kind of like the nice, you know, open air and the rest of it. I think we're going to see other states that have um, starting to do this, and at least from what I've heard from friends, you know, over in Colorado, that they've had a lot of success in making sure that uh, their own employees inside the restaurant are masked up. The guests, when they enter the premise, you know, they're also masked up. They come to sit at the table. They take off their mask. They're distanced away from other guests, but at least they're with the people they want to be with. So. Again, that's their risk level that they feel comfortable with. You know, all we can kind of do is, you know, just hope that um, as this virus continues to kind of, you know, go along its course. Will there be a vaccine that comes out with this? Maybe. I mean, will it be 100% effective? Maybe. You know, will, um, you know, nature kind of do its thing? And I'm actually kind of thinking that nature, nature does what nature does. Every pandemic that we've ever had before has not had the benefit of, you know, a major amount of medicine behind it. And uh, fortunately for this one, I mean, yes, there's a lot of people who are getting sick, but it seems like you know the the death rate is not, although still tragic, it's not like the Black Plague. It's you know your the BBC came out and said in the United States of you know the hundred thousand infected, it's like point zero three, say point zero three eight percent you know, the people that are infected will actually pass on from this. And that unfortunately is also very discriminatory. It discriminates the older you get. Uh so I don't know what that also is going to begin to look like. Does it mean that we start to force more resources onto those individuals that are more at risk? Do we begin to you know, do people that are younger and you know have the immune system be able to hold this thing off are they going to feel, you know, better about this? The people that have already gotten it and recovered. Do they have immunity? I mean, there's just so many questions right now. I just, right. it, it's hard to be able to know until we get better data, better science, and um, the public begins to get a little bit more, I guess, at ease with what this thing is and what it's not.
0: Brent, have you been able to, um, as someone who, it's anyone knows me from social media, Frequent frequents a lot of restaurants. It's been a particularly hard time for me. Uh, but I'm curious if you've been able to survey or talk to actual customers around, like, what would make them comfortable to be? Is it just the the outside feeling? Is it no mask? What are some of the, the things that you and your colleagues are seeing that will actually get folks to be in a restaurant? You know,
1: from the people that I've talked to, it seems like, you know, the mask is – I guess like probably the, the first line of defense, you know, that people think, okay, it's not a hundred percent. You know, I've had an opportunity to uh, even survey a lot of, you know, the doctors that have all come into my own business and say, you know, what is your feeling about that? You know, uh, uh, they felt comfortable enough to come in wearing a mask and then taking it off. And again, they're also the individuals that also know what the risk is. I think people are going to start to feel more comfortable when they start to know, when they start to get better data, and that's what we don't have right now. It's all we know is like, hey, you know, they're shutting down, you know, all the bars, you know, because of the proximity and, you know, the I guess the loudness of it, and I guess you know a, the infection rates are kind of going up. You know, it's so all of a sudden they shut down bars, and then thinking, okay, we need to shut down gyms as well. But now you, know, you see there's a new report that has came out today. It's like maybe, you know, the gyms aren't necessarily as bad as what they, they personally thought. You know, maybe there's another thing. It's like, well, people need to be able to stay in shape to get their own immune system stronger. But talking to my own customers, there's some that they're going to continue to hunker down just because they do feel that they're at risk. And I'm not too sure that there's anything that's going to be able to prevent them from coming back in until there's truly a vaccine. I think that that level, that level of fear, is is that high and until, you know, they, they have, you know, better information that they're not going to die from this or they're not going to become significantly ill from it. I don't think a mask or distancing or plexiglass, you know, barriers in between tables is going to change their mind. On the other side of it, you've got people that are like, Hey, we're not even going to come into your place. If we're, if we have to wear masks, right. You know, that's, that's, that's a, that's another very, very, you know, they're like look we're we got to get through this we're you know we want to get to you know herd immunity where we don't believe you know what we're being sold it's become very politicized uh, it's it's hard to know and in this kind of this fog of war and i think is almost the best way i describe it the restaurant industry and hospitality industry in general you know from airlines to resorts to restaurants we're in this kind of a a fog of war there's misinformation there's bad science there's good science that doesn't necessarily get you know doesn't give all the statistics you know it's like i would love if there was like a real like insurance actuary that came out and said by the way these are your real risks you know Mm -hmm. based on like if you're in this age group and this you know just kind of go right down the line and just tell us it's like how am i going to die from this am i going to get significantly sick from this am i going to go into the hospital will i go on a ventilator what are my odds? Because I think, you know, myself, and I, I i have to admit, being on my standpoint, I'm an entrepreneur. My risk tolerance is much higher than I think, you know, your average individual in the public. Uh, and so, yeah, I will probably have, you know, my own biases on this. And I'm not too sure that I'm going to be the best and try to be able to comment on the science of all of this. And uh, I've been, I've made decisions that have been wrong. I've I've said some things that have even been wrong, and uh, I'm always looking for better information to to help me to be able to change my mind and try to be able to make a better decision about, you know, what the correct path forward is. I mean, the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to hurt any of my employees or or my customers, and I also want to give them a great experience, but your customers at the end of the day will tell you who and what you are. Mm -hmm. If they're not showing up because either one, you know, your place sucks. You know, like they don't like your food, they don't like your service. You're just not going to show because you're bad. You know, it's like okay, you got to change. On the other hand, it's like you know you're good, you know you've got all the right things, but people still aren't showing up. It means that they're just not coming in because of other factors. And this other factor right now is fear. And even the best restaurants right now in Phoenix are struggling. No doubt. Unless, of course, they've got a great takeout model. That's it.
0: Yeah. Well, I certainly echo everything you just said, and I feel like uh, it's probably something that we're all struggling with internally, and hopefully sooner rather than later we will have some guidance on this, and we'll be able to make some logical decisions moving forward, So, um, and hopefully rather, sooner rather than later. So, uh, Well, Brent, I know that, that you are a super talented guy and a super talented chef and probably could have opened any kind of restaurant. Why did you select a, 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 a brasserie?
1: You know, it was really – there. there's a number of reasons, but I really wanted to be able to bring in, you know, my own journey into this. You know, I started off, you know, really kind of working on motor yachts, jets, villas. You know, I was working for, like, some of the wealthiest people in the world. And then from there, you know, being recruited out to Massachusetts to open up a farm-to-table restaurant, which was very, you know, environmentally conscious, you know, where you had to be able to know what all the food and where it came from and, you know, focusing on local – Uh, to myself saying, like, well, what do I think would be a representation of what everything is that I've done? You know, I think about my travels through, you know, Southeast Asia or North Africa or through Europe, and I wanted to bring those flavors in. I wanted to be able to have a place that I think I would like to be able to eat at, where I just didn't want to have, like, a giant plate of So let's just say, for instance, like a steak dinner where you've got like a steak and then a starch and then a vegetable and a sauce. And for me, it just becomes almost like gluttonous to be able to have this giant platter of food, you know, which is thousands of calories just for this one thing. I wanted to be able to have a lot of different flavors. I wanted to have a place where the food was, you know, lighter and brighter and cleaner, but also represented a lot of these places that I'd been to. So with the brasserie and especially that French influence, I was thinking, okay, what about French colonial? So back in when France had you know colonies over in Southeast Asia, North Africa, and obviously there in Europe, those flavors you know have been so influential on my cooking over the years. Those were the things that I wanted to bring into the restaurant. And so you know for the chance to to take something that'd be like a classic, you know like you know escargot, and instead of doing escargot to try to move that into something so i created like okay what else is french well you have a parmentier which is essentially like mashed potato with kind of like a nice meaty center and then it's baked and kind of crusty on the outside but kind of like luscious and you know beautiful on the inside but you bite into it and you kind of got that surprise i decided to basically fill that with escargot as well as garlic parsley butter so when you cut through that potato and that crust you kind of get all that beautiful soft richness and who doesn't love you know butter and potatoes, and that butter with the escargot, I think, is what everybody's kind of digging into. Take something that's kind of known, transform it into something new. You know, we've done the same thing with uh, like a pastilla, which is a traditional, I guess it's like a pigeon pastry out mm. of Morocco. And I said, I don't know that Americans would understand pigeon, but I know that they understand duck. So you fill it with duck confit, you wrap it in filo, you bake that, it becomes nice and crispy, but you have all those warm moroccan spices inside of it you know and then all of a sudden it becomes thing, something entirely new and original to us you know we're taking like a bon mi, you know out of vietnam which was like the perfect combination of you know baguette vietnamese flavors a sandwich you know which was not something that the vietnamese did but now all of a sudden with a french influence that's probably one of the most famous sandwiches around the world, and absolutely delicious. And to bring that into our own palette of flavors inside the restaurant, and that's why I wanted to do all those things. But I really wanted to have a place for people to to congregate and to get together and then be social and to be able to share, you know, all these little things together. But also, too, to be able to create a new type of restaurant where I could bring these kind of Michelin starred aspects, you know, that I learned, you know, through all my years working in yachting and the rest of it. But to almost bring more of this fast, casual or almost even like fast food elements from the kitchen side of it, how can I get everything so it can be prepared accurately and quickly and also to not to expend, you know, a ton of energy doing it or have a huge footprint in making that happen? So I developed a new type of kitchen, you know, that's ventless equipment. I don't have a grill. I don't have a deep fat fryer it's forcing you to keep the food lighter, cleaner, a lot more uh, raw products, cured products, um, marinated products, rather than having kind of like a giant plate of, you know, whatever it is, you know, where you can continue to modify it like a ton of times, like a steak. It's like, Hey, I'm the steak is cooked one way. The sauce could be changed. The protein could be changed. the Starch can be changed. You have so many opportunities for the guests to try to change up what you think it should be. Whereas with the small plate, it's just me focusing on what I think the plate should be, and ha- asking the guest, "Trust me, it's not a big price point, but trust me, it's going to be delicious." And it's every dish that I make is kind of that way. So, the, right down to the the vegetables, they're going to get a very special presentation. It's going to look it. You're going to see it on the plate, and that's what I wanted. And that's why I, that's why I built it. And it's crazy to think that because of this damn virus <laughs> having to re-pivot all of what i just created uh it, it's frustrating i'm not gonna lie brother it's a it, it's been a it's been a it's been a rough road
0: well at least it sounds delicious oh my goodness it does sound perfect yeah it does sound perfect and you know honestly it's 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 Everything you just described about um, we're 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 big believers in community, and you know, Centauri and I talk a lot about that and the importance of it, and bringing people together and focusing on uh, on the things we have in common versus focusing on our differences. All these are things that we really need right now. And that large selection of alcohol and wine and beer is also something that we all <laughs> need right now. So, when are when w- w- when are you intending? to uh to 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 reopen at this point
1: yeah i'm thinking that august you know right now and we're gonna have to play it by sure basically go go by what you know the uh the state and the cdc guidelines are kind of being able to lay out and i think that uh there are so many great minds that are working on all this at the same time we're gonna start seeing better solutions sooner rather than later i'm still you know not um I don't think the vaccine is going to be happening anytime as soon as I would like it. I don't think that's going to be probably coming until next year, at least, you know, from some individuals that I've talked to in those particular industries, you know, you're looking at rollouts that are, I mean, maybe the first quarter, but more than likely mid year next year. So, I mean, if people are waiting for a vaccine, they're going to be waiting a while. And unfortunately, you know, for a business to be sitting idle for that amount of time, it's just not a possibility. There's going to be so much economic destruction if we can't get things moving again. You think about the hospitality industry as a whole. I mean, those 40 million jobs that were lost, you know, during that downturn, the percentage of those that were involved in the hospitality industry, you know, from airlines, hotels, resorts restaurants, distribution. I mean, you think about how much goes into all of those things. You know, that was probably about 20 million of those jobs that were downsized. And we are all dependent upon people getting out and into the world. It's, a, it's scary. I mean, to be able to think, and if all of a sudden, you know, these programs that we've depended on to at least keep us afloat, you know, I wasn't allowed to take out a PPP loan because we I didn't have any payroll going into this thing happening. So that one couldn't actually benefit from that. Uh, but the programs that it did benefit from, you know, are only going to keep me afloat until, you know, the latter part of the year. And then after that, it's like, okay, now what? Right. So it's a, it's a scary and challenging time, which is why right now we're having to, uh, to pivot and change our model and hope that people will come out and embrace it. And we'll just have to find out.
0: Yeah. Appreciate that. So before you tell us exactly how people can, can experience, um, can experience the Mick Brasserie Centauri, do we have any other questions? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if it can't do it until August, just let us know how we can have you come cook at our homes.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I mean, I do have a, uh, I mean, I am a private chef. As a matter of fact, my other, uh, my chef of cuisine in the restaurant and she is a legit star. Oh my God, Simona. She's amazing. I mean, her, um, her drive, her talent, everything else. She too, private chef. You know, we both kind of come from that background. Uh, we can definitely do that. So if you, if you're looking to try to be able to do an event or in a party or whatnot, please, you know, reach out to me. You can find me at uh, Brent at uh, the we or Actually at the dot Pardon me. Brent at the McAZ.com would be a great way to try to reach out to me. Uh, and, yes, I am definitely doing private events. Would love to be able to do that with you gentlemen. If you ever decide you want to be able to get together for a dinner party, I would just love to be able to cook for you both. And just at least to show, you know, what it is that we can do. You know, I, I'm super proud of the team that I've got and uh, what we've actually put together. I mean, uh, all the wines and all the beers. I mean, seriously, we had I have a certified Cicerone that is on staff. Her beer selections have been stunning. So Bonnie, again, that's her name. She put together a fantastic beer selection. And my partner, you know, John Crowsey, you know, he put together a fantastic wine selection. We've only been drinking wine for about the past nine months trying to be able to make all these <laughs> different selections. So I promise you, all the wine and all the beer that are on there, they're there because they're outstanding, not because they're mediocre. So yeah, please. I don't know uh, that I'm going to give okay. you a lot of
0: sympathy uh, for for going through that process, Brent. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, there's got to be an upside in owning your own business. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's at least trying to do all your food testings and trying all your wines. But I'm hoping that everybody's going to come out and find us. You know, uh, the Mick Brasserie is in Scottsdale in uh, McCormick Ranch, which is also too why we're named the Mick Brasserie. It was really after the neighborhood, uh, and also too. We're right there at Hayden and Mountain View. Uh, we've got a gorgeous patio. And like I said, come in and wait for us you know, to reopen out here in August because it is going to be uh, spectacular when it finally does, and I can't wait for everybody to get out and feel comfortable enough to be uh, spending some time with us.
0: Do you guys have a website? Are you on social media?
1: I am. You can find it at uh, themicaz.com. You can also find us on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook as well as uh, The Mick Brasserie.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Brent. I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate you doing so much work in, in developing what sounds like an incredible place, and I can't wait for it to open back up.
1: Thank you for having me on, and uh, gentlemen, I look forward to seeing you all soon. I can't wait to be able to have you in my uh, my own space so I can show you what it is that we do, and again, it's always a pleasure being on your show.
0: Love it. Thanks again, Brent. And thanks, as always, for listening, and remember, keep questioning because the struggle is real. On behalf of Centauri and I, thanks, as always, for listening. Please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review and feel free to share the show on social media. Thanks a lot.